Thank you for joining us on the Children's Church of Christ podcast. We're glad you're here, and we hope that this message speaks to you in a way that helps you walk and live in community with God and in His kingdom this week. God bless you in your journey. Good morning. Can you hear me? Am I good over here? Yeah? All right. So I got the fun story today, but I'm actually not, you know, that worried about it. Ananias and Sapphira, there's actually a lot of things that we're going to learn from this story, I think, that can really help us in our, um, at least can help me in my walk and and how I approach um, the service that we give here among each other. And so it's a hard story, but there's also some some real lessons I think we can learn in, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira that um, we just watched on the video and that Easton read to us a few moments ago. I'd like to start here again, the same place we started last week. And this quote from Jim McGuigan that, um, that really kind of stood out to me and made me think a lot. And he says it a lot. He says, when you open the Bible, it's worlds in conflict. And what do we mean by it's worlds in conflict when you open the Bible? Well, think about this question for a minute. If... The world looked right now exactly the way that God wanted the world to look right now, the way he created it. How different would it be from what it was? If this world was in God's image, the way he intended it to be and the way he wanted it and the way he wants it, how would the world look? Very different than it looks now. Imagine if everybody loved their brother more than themselves and placed the people around them before themselves in every walk of life. There would be... A totally different place than the one we live in. No war, no world, no wars, no poverty, no problems with immigration, no disease. Probably because we would still be in a perfect state, like in the Garden of Eden. It'd just be a totally different world. That's what God intended. And when you see that it's worlds in conflict when you open the Bible, what we see is Jesus and God working in the world trying to get it back to what they intended it to be. And so they're in conflict with the way that the world has become, which is the way that we've made it with our choices of denying God. And he's working against what we have created in this world to get it back to where it's supposed to be. And that's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. As Jesus has gone back to heaven and he sent the Spirit to live with us and to live in us and for his church to work. And the way that he is getting us back to what he originally intended and the way that God works in the world now, the primary way he works through the world is through us as his body. We had a question in class this morning. Well, what's the church? Well, what is the church? The church is God's body. It's Jesus' body. And if you want to know how God's changing the world right now and how he's changed the world since Jesus went back to heaven, he does it through his church and he does it through us. And that may be one of the reasons when we read Ananias and Sapphira, when they came in and they started corrupting what was supposed to be happening, well, there was such a harsh consequence right there at the beginning. And I'm sure glad that God doesn't always answer our, um, our failures the same way, because if he answered my failures the same way that he answered Ananias and Sapphira's failure, then there wouldn't be probably very many people left in the church if everybody that had wrong motives in their heart or had lied, um, dropped dead. There wouldn't be very many of us left, I don't think. But God doesn't always, it depends on the situation, I think, and what, what's happening. Would you guys agree with that statement? Yeah. Um, 
Let's go. Acts 1.8. We're going to do a little review. Um, over the last five weeks, we've started talking about the book of Acts. And this is our theme verse. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in, Jude- in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, we started the discussion with Josh, was to talk to us about Jesus um, leaving, giving them this promise and this commission, and... I think one of the main points we heard was, man, it's not time for us to stand around and look at the clouds and wait for something to happen. It's time for us to get to work. And we talked about the Holy Spirit coming to live with us and the power that was going to be given to us as the Holy Spirit came in to indwell us and live among us and um, and work among us. That was the second week. We heard Jacob talk about the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus preached his sermon and 2,000 people came to believe in God. Um, we also talked about boldness and the boldness that they um, received as they went out and they started preaching the gospel. The boldness that the Holy Spirit gave them that even though they were being attacked so early in, in, in the life of the church, they were already being put in front of the courts and, and threatened and all these things. But they prayed to speak with boldness. And also, we talked about, it was the third week that Josh talked about, um, that we don't want to be the people that see this, the work of the Holy Spirit and say, oh no, those men are just drunk. And that's not really, that's just coincidence. But we want to be people that acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that kind of got us to where we are today. Uh, and we're getting up to Acts chapter 5. Um, but when we get to Acts chapter 5, the church has grown to how many people? By Acts chapter 4, about in the middle of the beginning of Acts chapter 4. 5,000 people. You think back to the, to the upper room. How many were there in the upper room? How many disciples were there to start with? About 120. And so in a very short amount of time, it's gone from 120 people in the upper room to 5,000 just the men. So if you look at the 5,000 that are just men, so we're going to say 10,000 or up Christians in Jerusalem. In a very, very short amount of time. All right? And a lot of those people, this is where I hushed Josh in class this morning. He started talking about it. Those people weren't from Jerusalem, a lot of them. A lot of them weren't from there. Where did people come? Why did people come to Jerusalem in the first place when they started hearing about it? They were there for what? They were there for Pentecost. So they come from all over the Asia Minor and all around Judea and a lot of different places, and they come to Jerusalem to worship. And then they believe in Christ when Jesus, um, when Peter preaches, and they stay. So I want you to imagine that you went to a church conference in, say, Atlanta, and you got there and you just stayed. And there was 10,000 of you that just stayed in Atlanta, and nobody's working because their work is in Texas, but they're living in Atlanta, and they don't want to leave because of the thing that God's doing. That might be kind of a good correlation of it. Or just anywhere. So there's 10,000 people staying in Jerusalem. Most of them not from Jerusalem. And they're all living together and have everything in common. And what do you think is going to happen? Pretty soon they're going to run out of money. They're going to run out of things to eat. There's going to be needs. And so when we see what happens in, the, in Acts chapter 4, in the end of Acts chapter 4, people start, um, people start selling their property. And people start giving to each other. It's because there was a real serious need in the community 
that people needed to eat. People needed clothing. People needed a place to stay. And they had everything in common. They were selling property and giving to people who were in need. They, um, they were about each other. They were about taking care of the needs that the people had in the community. Um, you talk about Barnabas. He wasn't from Jerusalem either. He was from Cyprus, which is an island out in the Mediterranean. And he must have you know, been semi-wealthy because he had enough property besides what he had in Cyprus. He sold something there in the, in the area where, he was, where they were staying in Judea and gave the money to, um, to the church so they could take care of people. And this was going on. And it's because there were people that were in need. And I think that's the real point of it. And we see that in, 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 in children's, you know, today. Um, we have people in need in our community, and what do we do? We help them. We do the best that we can do to help them. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. And they were doing it to take care of the needs of the people around them. Now we get back to the worlds in conflict. Because we're up to Acts chapter 5 now. And um, the church has grown really quickly. And the Spirit's really working really hard and doing incredible things among the people. Um, they've been attacked from without. What was the attack from without? As soon as Peter and John started preaching in the temple, what happened? They got hauled before the same people that crucified Jesus really quickly. And it's going to get worse in the next couple of chapters. And so, you know, Jesus is working through the church and going to battle against Satan to establish his kingdom in the world and to change the world into what he intends it to be in the first place. But Satan is still in the world and he's fighting back against them. And the first thing he does is starts arresting them and he starts attacking them from without. And what was the end result of that first attack he had on them? He wasn't very successful because all he did was occasion them to, be, to rejoice that they were being threatened and persecuted and for them to pray for boldness. And the church went from 2,000 to 5,000 because he attacked them from without. So 120, 2,000 day of Pentecost, two chapters later, 4,000 people or 5,000 people. And Satan's going after them. But it's not working yet. So then we get to chapter 5. And I think this is maybe the most dangerous attack of all. He can't get them from without, so he starts attacking the body from within. And so into this environment where they have everything in common, where they're sharing everything they have, they're selling their property to take care of people that live far away, that need food, and they're, they, they don't consider anything their own. They're meeting together. They're praying together in the temple courts. They're admired by all the people. They wouldn't, the, the, the priests wouldn't even punish really or beat Paul and, and Peter and Paul, or not Peter, not, not Paul yet, Peter and John, because they were scared of the people because they were so well regarded. It's going to change pretty soon. But right now it seems like Jesus is really, and the church is really starting to win and get some momentum, right? And so what, is, what does Satan do? He starts attacking the hearts of people in the church. And I think that this is where they can really get to where we can get down to the nitty-gritty and the, and the meat of this story that's going to help us today. Because what does Satan do to attack the church that is his most effective tool? 
He goes after the hearts of individuals. That was true then, and that's true now. And we know that that's what happened, because look what Peter told Ananias when you really look at it closely. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. When he attacks the church, he goes after the hearts of the believers. And what was his purpose? Cause dissension? Divide. Divide, cause problems, cause fear. And that is exactly the thing he does today, still, when he wants to attack us. Like, I feel that sometimes. Like, with my heart is attacked um, through a lot of different ways. So what we're going to do for a moment is, I want you to look in your bulletin. I left you a little place to write towards the bottom. And what I want to do is because when Satan attacks an individual's heart, he attacks our hearts individually, right? I want you to write down why you think they lied. Or think about it. If you don't want to write it down, you just think about it. But write down, why do you think, what was the reason, how did Satan attack Ananias and Sapphira's heart? What was the reason they felt it was a good idea to walk in and keep part of the money for themselves and lie to the church about it and keep something in reserve? What's the reason? So I'll give you a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds. So why did they do it? And I actually asked this question to a lot of different people. I asked it in two ways. I said, why do you think they lied? And the other way that I asked it was, um, what do you think the main point of the story is to you? It can be both. It's a different question, but sort of the same question. Here's some of the answers I got back. I asked about 10 people during the week, mostly on Wednesday night. I said, well, why do you think Ananias and Sapphira may have, may have tried to lie to, to the church and to the people around them? One answer I got, I don't know, that's kind of small. I don't know if you can read it too well. I'll read it for me from here. I came better prepared this time, see? Um, one thing I heard, they wanted to appear good or holy to the other believers. But... In their hearts, they were doing it. They were doing things with wrong motives. So it was for appearances' sake. That's what one person said. Another person said, "Well, the the lesson that I got from it was: be honest in your giving when you're giving. Don't mess around with God, because God's merciful, but God is also holy." That one reminded me of Matthew chapter six immediately. What does Matthew chapter six say about prayer and fasting? Does anybody remember? When you pray, don't go out to where? To the street corner to be seen by men like the Pharisees do because they're already going to get the reward. But when you pray, go in your closet and close the door so that nobody will see what you're doing or hear your words except for God, right? Give your whole heart. Somebody else said immediately, greed killed them. That's what, that's what another answer was. They were killed by their greed. Another person told me, I said, what do you think the lesson is? And he texted me back. He said, what the Holy Spirit requires from us is honesty about our weaknesses and our strengths. When you come to this place, you come to your brothers, he requires honesty about your weaknesses 
and your strengths. And the word that popped to my mind with that is just transparency. Transparency is, can be very difficult. Would you agree with that, church? If you agree with that, say amen. It's difficult to be transparent with your brothers sometimes. Because there's a lot of things in us that we don't want people to see. Then somebody else said they were afraid. And I said, what do you mean they were afraid? And this person said, well, what if they weren't super wealthy like some of the other people were? And they wanted to help the church. This is just a different angle on it. They wanted to go help people at the church. But they just couldn't let go and give it all away. They had to keep something back because they were afraid of what might happen to them. I mean, that one kind of, I kind of identified with that one more myself. Um, of, yes, I want to give, but man, it's hard to give everything. Because then I want to worry about, oh, well, what happens next week if, with the kids and we got to eat and this and that. So maybe some of that may have been, just been fear. Another way to look at it is fear of relying on God to provide for their needs. And maybe that's why they lied, but maybe not. Um, somebody else said, you can lie to yourself. You can lie to your spouse or with your spouse like they did, but you cannot lie to God or the Holy Spirit. That was a lesson. You can't. He's going to know. I love this one. This one came from a, a teenager. Don't let earthly things corrupt your heart. Except he said, I'm not going to tell you what it was. He said earthy. And I said, you mean earthly? And he said, it's the same thing, right? And I said, yeah, it kind of is. Earthy and earthly, you know. Not, not, it's pretty much the same. Another teenager told me, God wants 100% of your heart and life. You can't and don't hold things back from him. He wants it all. And then another teenager told me, the desire to fit in can lead you into some really bad choices. And that's what he took from it. Next slide. What do you guys know about the Mona Lisa? What do they say about her smile? One thing I've heard about Mona Lisa, she kind of got that half smile. Look at her. You look at her, and I want you to think, is she happy? Is she sad? Is she joyful? Does she regret something? Is she thoughtful? And what they say about the Mona Lisa, just look at it for a minute, and you think, how is she feeling? What they say about the Mona Lisa is when you look at her smile, you look at her face, that you're going to look at her and you're going to think that she's feeling the way that you're feeling. If you look at Mona Lisa and you feel happy, she's going to look happy. If you look at Mona Lisa and you're feeling um, depressed or lonely, she's going to look depressed or lonely to you. Sort of got that. So look at that. Look at it. Do you think it's true? What does the scripture say about the word of God? It's like a sharp, double-edged sword, right? That pierces down to separate bone and marrow. It can separate the spirit from the flesh. That's what, the, that's what the word of God can do. And so I want to say this to you. And we're going to be done pretty quick today. It's not going to be a real long sermon. But look at what you wrote down about Ananias and Sapphira. Think about what you thought about. And think about the fact that God, that Satan attacks 
the hearts of individuals in the church when he wants to do his damage. Think about the fact that God is at war with the world and he wants our church and his body to continue to grow and change children's sexes because that's his intention, right, in the world. Look what you wrote down. Then think about the Mona Lisa. I'm going to tell you this. I bet you that if I asked every person in this room individually what they thought the meaning of the story of Ananias and Sapphira were or where they lied, I bet we'd get a, a different answer from every single person in this room. And you know why that is? I didn't get two same answers. I asked about 15, 20 people. Everybody said something different. And you know why? Because I think that the sword of the, of the Scripture is going to penetrate each of our hearts. And we're going to hear, if we're open to it, the area that we need to look at ourselves and reflect in. If I think the Ananias and Sapphira were scared to give everything, maybe I'm scared to give everything. If I think that they didn't give everything for, maybe for greed, maybe I'm struggle with greed. If I think that they think that their motives were wrong, that they want to be seen by men, maybe that's where I need to focus on myself and say, man, am I... Am I serving in such a way or worrying about what people think about me. And I think the answer is going to be different for each one of us, right? Because Satan will attack the hearts of the individual. And that's how he can do the most damage to us. Because that can cause, you know, lies and deceit and all kinds of problems. Now, God the Father, God the Son... God the Spirit, they want 100% of our hearts. 100% honesty is required when talking to God and dealing with God and the Holy Spirit. All of it. And here's something interesting about it, too. Is it seems really harsh. This story, people don't want to talk about this story a lot because they drop dead for lying, right? But think about this. Did he or did he not? And, and, I'm, and I agree, that's harsh. There's not a lot of grace in that. But did he... <coughs> Or did he not give them an opportunity to confess? Did they walk in the door and immediately fall dead? No, he asked them, is this the money you got? And they said, yep. You know who it reminded me of? It reminded me of Cain and Abel, too. And I think it's something that God always does. Because what did, Cain, what's the first, what did, Cain, what did God ask Cain before he got punished, after he killed his brother? What did he ask him? Hey, Cain, where's your brother? What would have happened to Cain if he'd said, fallen on his face and, and confessed what he had done? He didn't do it. What did he do? He said, my brother? What brother? Where's my brother? I'm not my brother's keeper. And then he was punished. God's always going to give us a chance. He's going to give us a chance to, um, to confess. He's going to give us a chance to turn around. He's going to give us a chance to repent. And the result in the church was fear among the believers and among the people around them. And I'm going to just say this to end. The fear of God is a good thing. And it's essential to the growth of the church. And it's essential to the battle that we're fighting. Because we're in a battle. We're in a battle against Satan. We're in a battle against evil in the world. And we're God's tools to change this world into what he wants it to be. And that's our job with the Holy Spirit in us. Um, in our jobs, in our families, in our friendships, and in this church.
That's what's expected. That's God's purpose. And our youth group. I love those kids, man. Um, yep. And I think that's our main, that's my main point right there. That one. He wants everything from us. And like I said, he always gives us a chance to confess. So if there's anything that you need us to pray for, if there's anything that you need to um, confess, find someone. If you want to come to the front and ask the elders to pray for you, we'll do it. Um, but let's not let Satan take root in our hearts. Let's keep growing and let's have the fear of God in our lives. Amen? Thank you for your time.